The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, well, a couple weeks ago, uh, we, in our study in the Gospel of John, we saw John the Baptist. He's preaching in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord. And then the next day, it says that John the Baptist then pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God or as the Messiah. And then the next day, we see that he acknowledges him again. John's disciples begin to follow Jesus, and then people bring others to Jesus, and then Jesus begins to call others to himself. So it's, it, in just a few short days, there's this movement, the story moves from John preaching in the desert preparing the way to Jesus coming on the scene and calling disciples to himself. And so we got done last week with chapter one, and I was going to jump into chapter two this week with uh, um, wedding of Canaan and changing water to wine. But when we were in a conversation, uh, somebody mentioned in the conversation uh, about when he called, Jesus called Simon, and how God changed his name, and he had made the comment, man, he just, he knew what he would become, right? So I'm driving Friday morning, and I thought, you know what, I just kind of want to back up a little bit, and I want us to think about the 12, I want us to think about the disciples, and we realize that um, And I want us to be reminded that Jesus, uh, he didn't call the religious leaders. He didn't call the influential to be his followers. He called common men. And, you know, I get to thinking often uh, what what that was really like for, well, we know what it was like for the religious leaders. They hated Jesus. Uh, they didn't like the idea of these common men being his followers and having some kind of say with anything that had to do with the religion of the Jew, right? And so I got to thinking about the 12. So we have Simon and his brother Andrew. You have James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and then James, the son of Alphaeus. Now those guys, they were all fishermen. That's what the Bible tells us. And then after that, we find that he calls Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Thaddeus, who we don't know for sure. I mean, they could have been fishermen also. They were in, um, after Jesus, after the resurrection, before Jesus ascended, those guys were with um, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John uh, at the sea, and they were fishing with them when Jesus shows up. So that's a possibility, but at least it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, eight or nine of them could have been fishermen. But I think the important thing to understand is, is that those who Jesus called, he called common men. And then you look at uh, Matthew, you know, we understand that he was a tax collector for the Roman government, uh, you know, which was for Matthew, he would have been considered by the Jews as a traitor, so that's kind of interesting. And then the next guy, you have Simon, who is called the Zealot, who was this political activist of some sort, an anarchist who hated the Roman government, right? He was a rebel. 
And so you think about just, just think about the dynamics of those two. Here's somebody that's a traitor, and then here you have a religious zealot. I'm sure they got along well, right? It would have been just an interesting dynamic, and then you have Judas Iscariot, you know, who we understand was a treasurer in Jesus' band of 12, whom in John chapter 12, I think it's John chapter 12, calls him a, a thief and an embezzler. And so you got this band of 12 that Jesus calls to change the world. And I'm just thinking, you know, just the upside-downness of God and how God does what God does. I mean, you know, if I ask somebody in here, say, okay, so here's the deal. Uh, you're going to change the world. Choose 12. Well, who, who would be your 12, right? Well, I'm going to go find... I'm going I'm to go to the homeless encampment. And uh, I'm going to pick out a few, and then I'm going to go. I'm going to go to construction site. I'm going to pick out a few people. You know, just, it, it was just this upside downness about the way God does what He does. And so, I wanted to take a few minutes just to kind of talk about uh, this. You know, I think when you're considering who Jesus called to be His disciples, one of the things I got to thinking about is, you know, He called. And they just followed him. They just dropped what they were doing and followed Jesus. Now, that wasn't natural. I mean, back in the day, a disciple would be a follower of his teacher to carry on his teachings and his practices. But by and large, they continued to live their life. So it wasn't just an abandonment completely. Not to say that that didn't happen, but on the norm. That is what it was like. So there's this big difference here. These literally left. They left what they're doing. They left their occupation. They left their old life behind. And they began to follow Jesus. And so I think that uh, there's something maybe that we need to see in this for ourselves. And my intention this morning is to take a look at a few of the disciples just to say, okay, what, are the, what can we really learn? Because there's a lot that we don't have a story on. There's a lot of disciples. It doesn't say any, not a thing about, except they're in the list of the 12. Outside of that, we don't know their story. And even past that, how many disciples did Jesus have? You know, you have the multitudes, right, that he was preaching to. You got the 120 that were in the upper room. You got the, uh, how many did he send out? 72 that he sent out. You have the 12 and the 3. And out of all those, we know so little about them. But, but what we do know, what can we... Is, 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 okay, so is this a stretch to say, all right, this is how my mind thinks. All right, well, there's a bunch of disciples. And um, did you just select some to say something to us. Are you helping us see something that we can take and we can just draw for ourselves that we can kind of reflect on? I know that uh, a couple years back I had made this comment. I said, uh, who are your heroes in Scripture? You know, who are your favorite characters and why are they your favorite characters? 
and different ones made different comments. And I, I remember Aaron, his was, he was talking about Joseph, and he was just saying through the ups and downs of Joseph's life, God was consistent in his life, and Joseph was faithful back. He, he just didn't let go. And it spoke to him. And so I'm thinking as we look through the 12 um, uh, and those that we do know something about, Lord, what, what can we learn from them? And so I think something possibly that we could apply to ourselves in general concerning the 12 is that just as much as when Jesus called them and they left an old life to walk into a new life, maybe we should understand that as well. I mean, it's through scripture, you know, we, we walk away from an old life into a new life, but it's pictured. Do we walk away from our occupation? I don't know, maybe. I know guys that God has called and he said, look, this is what you're doing, I don't want you to do that anymore. They were successful individuals in the field they were in, and God said, I don't want you to do that anymore, this is what I want you to do. Others he called, and in the symbolism of it, or in the, the real picture is, okay, I am, I have been living this life, and I've been living it to myself, but now Jesus has called me, and I re need to respond, and so what I need to do is I need to begin to follow Jesus in how he would lead me into the life he's called me to. We walk into this new life. And so for all of us, for them, the ones we know, the ones we don't know, and for us, and those that have come after them and before us, their story is this story of transformation. And I think sometimes we don't really see our transformation so well. I think sometimes others see it in us better. You know, even in the, the longevity of our walk with Christ. You know, you can be saved a lot of years and there's this progressive thing that God is doing in your life and sometimes you're not around people for a while and then you're around them and they notice it better than you do. But there is this shift in our life. There is this transformation that takes place. So he said to them, follow me. They dropped what they were doing. They started following him. And at that moment... Think with me. At that moment, there was something supernatural about that moment. And, and, and we got to get this. See, God was in that. When Jesus, I, you know, I, I just, you know, we don't know for sure how much everybody knew about Jesus. At the early stages, we know that they didn't know a lot. Some of them, he wasn't even identified until John pointed. But think about this. Here's Matthew. And he's sitting at the tax booth. And it says, and Jesus walked by. He didn't even go up to him. He just, he's walking by and he says, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows Jesus. See, that's not natural. That's supernatural. There, there's God in the middle of it. And in our own personal lives, uh, you know, I've said this so often over the years, we sometimes dismiss the supernatural phenomena about being born again and about living the Christian life because it's, it's not natural. It is, it's what? It's supernatural. So don't freak out about the word supernatural because God living in our life, the Spirit of God empowering our life, overseeing our life, Ministering angels, ministering. Okay, that's not natural. Just go up to anybody that doesn't know anything about Jesus and you just start saying those things and they're going to they're gonna give you quip observation. Is there a bump on your head or your eyes twist? There's got to, there's, you can't be quite right because what you're saying makes no sense. 
So there is this, even in, in, in our life, there is this supernatural occurrence that takes place when you get the nudge of God on your life or the draw of God on your life to begin, as you're living one way, to begin to live another. I don't know about you, but that excites me. So, when Jesus called them, they just began to follow Him. And did they know when they started to follow him, that that's what they were going to do the rest of their life. I don't think so. You know, like a lot of people, they just went, this is the guy, and they followed him for a while, and then the others, you know, he turned around and said, hey, if you're going to follow me, here's what you need to know. You need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what you need to do. Another time he talked about his blood and, um, and, um, and his body, the bread, and many decided not to follow. So, at the initial response of them following, did they know what it was going to look like the rest of their life? No. But here's the thing. Here, here's, here's something that we can get from this. As they began to follow them, follow him, they were drawn to continue to follow him. Does that resonate with your life? I mean, when I first came to Jesus, I had no idea what was ahead. But I know when I made that decision and I... And, and, and the transformation that took place in my life that I had no understanding about, as I continued to draw to him, he continued to reveal himself to me. And this now, like you, it's been, this is my life. This will continue to be my life. This will always be my life, following Jesus. Right? So now I got to thinking about the 12, why 12? Well, there's... One of the things out there is, you know, God's chosen people, the Israelites, were divided into 12 tribes. And as Jesus calls out a new people for himself, he starts with 12 men who will form a new basis for a new Israel. And then we see, again, like I mentioned, the multitude of followers that Jesus had, there were a lot of them. So again, you go from the masses, you go from 120, you go to 72, you go to 12, you get to three. Now, a lot of, you know, as, as I'm processing all this, that so much is speculative, right? But I'm, I'm processing and I'm thinking, okay, you come down to Peter, James, and John, kind of this inner circle. Then I got to thinking, well, could that, is, is that really the accurate to say, like, inner circle? Would it be accurate to say favorites? Because Jesus so often said, hey, just so you know, no favorites. Nobody's above everybody else. Everybody's the same. So I get to thinking, well, why? And so, you know, I'm processing that. I'm, I'm reading everything I can on the 12, right? One guy makes this observation, which I thought was kind of interesting, which I might agree with. Um, he says, well, maybe Jesus chose three because the law said that a matter could not be established as true Based could only be established as true on the basis of two or three witnesses. So maybe he took three, these three, along with him so that they could verify that this actually took place. Oh, well, that's plausible. Who knows? Or maybe it was Jesus had these um, three uh, so he could teach them very specifically, help them know very specific things about him, 
All right, that, well, okay, well, that's plausible because we see that Jesus retreated with Peter, James, and John on several occasions where it was just the three. Uh, maybe, he was, uh, maybe he was just trying to help them see things that he knew they needed to see and be aware of because he knew what he was going to do with their lives. I'm not really sure. And it, he doesn't say. He, he doesn't. This is what's fun, you know, which can, which can lead into a ditch. That's why, you know, as I'm sharing this, it's, it's really, what can we really, uh, what, could we, what could we really think through that, God is, that, that, that it would help us to see, why didn't God tell a story for everybody? Well, that had been way too much. But why did he give us what he gave us on who he gave us? I don't know. Are there lessons to be learned of their lives? We got to know that's true. Because this, the scriptures are there to teach us, to teach us about who God is, to teach us about his ways, to teach us about how he deals with humanity, to teach us big spiritual principled truths, to teach us lessons on life. So that's why I wanted to draw back. I just don't really want us to miss this. Because sometimes what we do is we read and we just read over. Sometimes we read and we just read through. And sometimes I think we need to pause because God wants to say something to us. And so, Peter, James, and John. So he's with them. You know, he takes them when he heals a little girl, takes them in to the house, just Peter, James, and John. He takes them in, heals a girl, and then says, no, don't tell anybody about this. Then he's with them on the tra- they're with him on the transfiguration. He chooses them specifically to go there. And then when he gets done, they see all this, and he goes, no, don't tell anybody. Don't say anything until after I'm raised from the dead. Don't let anybody know. And then at the garden, he specifically calls these three out of the 12, closer to him when he goes to pray, when he's really crying out to God in agony. So, you know, I mean, there's a few things that you might consider that God just, Jesus wanted to show them more about who he really was. The power in which God has given him, maybe the suffering and pain that he went through. I don't know. But they were there for those things. And again, maybe it was because he knew what he wanted them to do. And so for them, they went through different things than the others. They saw more than others. It was, it was just different. For us, it's just different. But we're all learning these same big things in varied ways because of what we need to know about him and what we need to know about ourselves and what he's asking out of our lives. And so because they determined that they were going to follow and continue to follow, he continued to reveal himself to them. All right, so I made comment that maybe, maybe they told him because they knew what they was going to do. I mean, Peter, you know, he's, he's the one that's leading in the early church. He wrote or co-wrote two of the epistles. James, we understand that he was the first martyr, and John, his brother, was the last. The first to die and the last to die. That's kind of interesting. And so let's just take, I got a few uh, that I kind of want to drill down on a little bit, and I want us to talk about. Uh, You know, what I see is like, this. I, I see this much. And so as we share together, maybe we'll see more and be able to learn more and maybe be nudged in some kind of way that the Lord wants us to be nudged. 
So the first one that I want to look at is what I started out with is Simon. So his name's Simon, but Jesus changed his name. And he changed it to Peter, meaning the rock. So here's what I want us to think about. From Simon to Peter. Now there's a story in here from Simon to Peter. I mean, when you read through the Gospels, uh, in the onset, Peter's anything but a rock, right? Uh, what, what, are some of the, what are some of the words that uh, you've heard Peter defined as? Impulsive, impetuous, right? Unreliable, maybe volatile. We don't, we don't necessarily picture the rock, but Jesus, he comes, he's apart for just a short time, and he says, you will be Peter. Pardon? It was the first thing he said? Depends on the gospel, which gospel you read, but... He first found his own brother Simon, this is Andrew, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay. Very first thing in the Gospel of John, that's what we see. Now you do notice, go ahead, uh, J.D. Take, hey, take it back there to J.D. Is anybody familiar with the pebble? Peter, rock, Pebble. I heard, I'd heard that somewhere. In a, didn't struck a bell with anybody? Could be translated pebble. No? Nope. Like a chip off of a rock. Chip off the old block. Chip yeah. off the rock. <laughs> That's interesting. Somebody else got some kind of... Did you have more? Well, on the bigger s- scope right before, you've got into that with the... Um, with this idea of three. And, and I know the passage, I always think about it in the bigger context, the many are called, few are chosen. But these three were specifically obviously chosen in these, in these events. And, you know, I've been reflecting on that sort of thing a lot lately. And one of the things, as parents, you know, many of us um, have either been big, big part of families or, or have many children or, or know somebody with many children or maybe in a workspace where you're in, formed in an intimate group and you have a large, larger group, but then you pick two or three, you know, to, to see the, the legacy or the, the mission go forward in the business or whatever. And um, as, I, as, as I reflect on that and this, this special time that Christ calls these guys aside for, for part of what he knew, because he knew the beginning of the end, what Scripture says, Jesus knew what was in a man. That's why, you know, he doesn't put a trust in a man. And so um, part, of, part of that reflection as of course, you know, I look at my life, getting very personal here, I look at my life and it's, there's a, a reflection of, wow, I've definitely let God down. You know, you look at the 50 years, you look at what you've known, you look what you've been entrusted with, and then you think of somebody like, a Peter or Paul the Apostle, you reflect on their life, or you look at, you know, maybe somebody in, in church or modern history that 
you know, John Wesley that had done so much with what they were given. And you wonder if when God knew, we know about grace, we know about mercy, and we know about the uniqueness of the relationship he calls us each to and the gifts that he gives to the entire body. But there's, there's okay acceptance, I think, when because of the mercy and the grace and the reward that we know is for all of his children. And I think it's easy to understand that those few that are at a specific time called away for a specific hard circumstance, it's like no one wanted to be General MacArthur. No one wanted to be Trump. No one wanted to be, and you could just go down the list. No one really wants to be Paul the Apostle. You know, to be shipwrecked, to be on the Isle of Patmos. To, to, but yet God knew that in the end that that guy would fulfill the task to which he was given. And so I'm just being brutally honest when I say, I know that I didn't fulfill all the tasks that I was given. So I'm okay with the fact that I wasn't the three. So I don't bind to the idea that they all, and while we're all equal in grace and we all receive mercy, there's also a, a sigh of relief that we still get this great inheritance reward. We still get to walk in his presence. We still get a renewed, regenerated life. We still get the power of the word the blessing, comfort, and teaching of the Holy Spirit. We still get to see miracle working power. We still get to celebrate and praise and have him inhabit the words of his people. And we still get to participate in the mission. And so I think it's, there's still excitement and joy. But I'm okay that if I'm part of the 12, but only three got to see, I'm okay with it. I guess that's my point. Okay. Does that make sense? Somebody else? Tony, just hand it down the line there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, why the three is difficult to re really understand that, but when we look at it, and I, we talk about this on Friday, God has an order on everything he does. And it is important to remember that just because there were three, that the other nine were not less important. They had the same value as those three to God. But for some reason, God chose a leadership team. And we can see that in churches, and that's probably just for submission purposes, because God is huge on submission, as we all know. Now, let me go to uh, Simon to Peter, part of it. Because, you know, you, yeah, Simon dash Peter, it's almost like our lives, right? When we're born, then we die. And you mentioned the first one. You know, to me, we don't know exactly why. The Bible doesn't say exactly why were those names changed. But there's definitely, to me, it's about life transformation. And you happen to have mentioned that at the beginning. Transformation, it's life transformation. And also wrote here, to establish a new identity. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, can I see what I write? Yeah. To, to establish a new identity. Identity on those people, a new mission. And that's exactly what is happening with Abraham and, and, and Jacob and Saul. They were, they were established a new identity and a new mission in their lives. Now, we cannot know, the Bible doesn't really say, this is the reason why I changed their names. But we can, like we can here say, hey, you know, 
maybe this is one reason, and we all can say like 25 reasons, and maybe they're all good reasons. I'm not sure, right? But I, I, I really believe that, that when I look at the life transformation, because the Bible was definitely written because of life transformation. If somebody asked me, how would you define what is the Bible for? Definitely life transformation. Here we see these characters, Bible characters, that I changed their names, pointed, well, there's a transformation here. Hey, Abraham, this is what you're going to do. Jacob, Saul, you know what I'm saying? You're going to become this name, but this is what happened. You're being transformed now into this new, new, new image. And guess what? You're going to have followers. And those followers need, need, need to understand what that life transformation really means because you can transform somebody, but if you don't understand your own life transformation, there's no essence to the transformation. There's nothing to it. So I cannot see anything else that I wrote here because I'm blind right now. But I can see. So, <laughs> so again, so from Simon to Peter, you know, in his story, from, so, you know, I mean, Peter was the guy, he was the only one that jumped out of the boat to walk on water. We'll give him that. But who was Peter after the resurrection? So we see before the resurrection, you know, in the death of Christ, we understand that he's the one. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus said that would happen. And then we remember the story when the two ladies, the two Marys run to the tomb uh, and they find the stone rolled away and they see the individual inside and he says, go tell the disciples and be sure also to tell Peter that he is risen. And then after that, what happened is Peter ended up being obedient. He did go ahead and he did go into Galilee um, where he was told to go. And then we, re, we see that afterwards, after Pentecost, we see Peter boldly preaching to 3,000. From that moment on, we just see God's maybe more fully seeing the definition, seeing the reality of who Peter would become. He would become a rock. He would become stability. And so, again, this story of transformation. And then there is Thomas. So what do you know about Thomas? What do they call him? What a bum rap. I mean, through history, what a bum rap. I mean, he was the guy that when um, uh, there, I don't remember, I don't remember now where they were at, but uh, they're somewhere in Lazarus, here that Lazarus died, and he says, no, he's sick, and Jesus says, well, let us go into Galilee. And the disciples, are you really going to go there again? Don't you realize that they're going to kill you? So you probably need to stay away, right? That's what the disciples said, and who was it that said something different? It was Thomas, he says, hey, if you go, we go. You die, we die, right? That Thomas, right? We, but we just know him from the fact when after the resurrection they go to the tomb and then Jesus appears to the disciples, Thomas isn't there. And so the disciples go to Thomas and they say, we saw the Lord. I love this because Thomas says this, Unless I see his hands, 
and the mark of the nails. Just think with me how really specific this is. And place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. And so, what does Jesus do? (laughs) Well, a week later, he shows up. Here's, this is me, again. He shows up specifically for Thomas. Well, the other 12 involved, yeah, but when he shows up, what's he do? He shows up, and he says this. He says to Thomas, a week later, I just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I wonder what happened in that week with Thomas and the other disciples and just maybe a storyline that's in there. I don't really know, but here's what I do know. I do know that a week later he shows up, and when he shows up, he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand and place it on my side. Everything that he said. This is, I, th- unless you do this, I'm never going to believe. So Jesus goes, all right, here we go. And then he says this, do not disbelieve, but believe. And we know the outcome of that is he, my Lord and my God. And so here's a little thought for you, a little something to think about. So what happens when there's fear and unbelief in our life? When you have it, what happens? See, I'm a firm believer because I know through my life that Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up to remove the fear, and Jesus shows up to remove the doubt or the unbelief. He does. Now, for Thomas, it was a week later. See, we want it in like 15, we're we're the 15-second flat people. But it was a week later. The struggle that, that might have been there. But what did Jesus do? He showed up. What can we learn possibly from Thomas's life? Jesus shows up. He shows up to deal with our fears, our doubts, our unbelief. Where we struggle, maybe we're not accomplishing. Jesus shows up. And, and you know, I'll get there. I got something else. And then you think about Philip. So, when they leave from the desert, it says that Jesus and those that were with him leaves, he goes to Galilee and finds Philip. Now, I don't know. For me, I think it was really purposeful about where Jesus was and where Jesus went and who he went after. I just don't think that's random. So, in my mind... Jesus leaves to find Philip. And so, not really a whole lot in, the, in that whole context. But for me, it, it, it affirmed to me, Jesus is the one that sought you out. Okay, so this might be a little thing for all of you, and you might go, Tracy, we get that. Hello. I mean, you know. I did not pursue him. How often have I said, I didn't pursue him. He found me. He came to me. I never, uh, I know my life. I wasn't, well, I was seeking Jesus. I just didn't know it. I had no idea that was it. I was seeking for, to fill an emptiness in my life, but he sought me out. 
And then you have Nathaniel. Well, you know the story with Nathaniel. Uh, is it, uh, was it Philip that told, brought Nathaniel? And he says, hey, we come. We found the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, well, can any good come out of Nazareth? And he goes, well, I've just come see. You need, to see. you need to see this for yourself. And he goes and approaches. When he does, what does Jesus say? Oh, you're a true Levite. You're a true righteous, whatever the words were. You're a true righteous man. He goes, how do you know me? I saw you when you're under the fig tree. And so for me, it's almost like I, I just understand that he knows me. Psalms 139. I was knitted together in my mother's womb is what David said. He knew me altogether. Through the scriptures, we understand he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows us. Everything about us. And he just spilled it right out to Nathaniel. So for me... Now, now just think that, that, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but here Nathaniel goes up to Jesus and he's going, all right, how do you know me? And then Jesus says that, and, and I just kind of think for myself, I'd be pondering afterwards, go, I can't believe I just did all that. That really is the Son of God. And yet the Son of God gave this grace to me and said, hey, you've not seen anything yet. Yeah, I know you. And see, for every one of us in here, he knows us. He knows everything about That's scary sometimes. But just like Peter, he knows us, but he, has, he knows his intentions for our life. Not just what we were, but what we will become. Any thoughts on any of that? Tony? Well, uh, that on? Okay. I think I mentioned this to you before, a few Sundays ago, but I wrote this. I said, Jesus was seeking for those who were seeking for a reason to believe. When we look at Thomas, Thomas wanted to believe. The disciples, I mean, when Jesus first asked them, only really Peter said, you're the son of God. So they still had doubts, right? But we, ha- we also have to, have to understand the setting at that time. They're under the law. This is the things that get unnoticed, on, on and that helps us understand that setting. They are looking at some miracles. Yes, they are. But they still have doubt. And, but they're looking for a reason to believe. And Jesus knew that. Like you just said, he knows that. He knows who wants to open their hearts to him. That's the deal because he also knows who doesn't want to open the heart swing. So to me, that is important. Thomas was looking for a reason to believe, and he just gave it to him. Okay. Anyone else? Tom, you got anything? So obviously, he, he was a good-looking apostle. <laughs> But I think that the, the, the importance of transformation in all of our lives is, is really important. Um, you know, just react to, you know, people, you know, you hear people say in the past, that's not who I am. This is who I am. Well, maybe who you are isn't who you should be. Maybe there's somewhere mm-hmm. else you need to get to. Mm, that's good. I like that. That's good. Suzanne? Also, too, I noticed that, you know, 
Philip went and got Nathaniel. So who are the Nathaniels that we're supposed to be bringing? Mm, yeah, there's a lesson. There, was, there, were, there were several of those, right? Andrew goes to get somebody. Philip goes to get somebody. We see that all the way through. I like, that's one of the things I love in the prayer in John 17, he says, Father, I'm praying for these, not just for these alone, but for them that will believe on you through, that will believe on me through their word. And so, again, there's just a lot of disciples. We don't know the story, but we know that was one of transformation, and we know that they followed him because they followed Jesus. Jesus was faithful to be who he was, which caused them to continue to follow him. So we need to not give up on our pursuit. So weird as our discussion, uh, some thoughts about our discussion, maybe leave us this morning. So for each one of us, there is a story. There's a story in each and every one of our lives. And you, like Tony said, and maybe somebody else said, I don't compare my story to anybody else's story. This is my story. I'm just trying to do what God has called me to do. I'm not comparing myself with anyone else. Not greater, not less. We're all on, this, we're all on the same page. And, and I think to the level that we surrender is to the level we receive in the respect of, look, listen, if I'm going to continue to draw near to him, what does the Bible say to me? He will draw near to us. So I think there's this, there is this on us. There is that on us. I mean, the, I, I loved when Tom started communion uh, last week. He goes, uh, he goes uh, talking about uh, eternal life and where we were and eternal life. And he goes, what if? That just, that, that has hit me. And it's hit me all week long. What if? What if there was a way? What if, what if there was a possibility? Hey, there is. There is a way. And there is a possibility. Not just for new life, but a continuing of new life. There is a way and there's a possibility to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. But you're saying, well, to what extent... I'm never going to be a missionary. I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm never going to be a... Hey, the story's not told on everyone's life. But we do know as they drew near to God, He drew near to them, and they fulfilled whatever it was. See, because for me, I, I've said so many times, I don't need to stand here to find my value. Because if... Matter of fact, just take that away. Here's my value. My value is a faithful husband to my wife and a good father to my kids, and a role model, and to my grandkids, as a teacher to my grandkids. Take all this aside. This, this, uh, don't, don't hear me wrong, but this doesn't mean, this doesn't have a greater value than that does. And the reason I say that is because that is my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility is getting this relationship with Jesus correct. And then getting this relationship with my wife and my children, then those are close to me and what he's called me to do. Are they all, is it a mosh pit? Yeah. 
kind of like the 12. But there's there a few primary things that I know I need to get right. Otherwise, the other things won't make any difference. So maybe this morning, there's a story in each of our lives where God has called us. We're here now, but what has He called us to do? What will we be? As we draw near to Him, He continues to really reveal who He is. When we have fears and doubts or failures, He's there and He shows up. We all know this for sure, because when it happens, the first person to show up is the Holy Spirit's just going, hey, and you know, we kind of, we kind of, Muff our, we, we kind of close our ears to that and we go other directions and but then we end up coming back to that surrender place. Okay, I've tried everything I know how to do. Here you go, Lord, I'm going to surrender. We need to remember that He seeks us out. He knows our name. He knows all about us. So often the world will, especially as we're moving into these end times, the, the attack and the, the, uh, the dismissal and the ridicule that will take place on the followers of Jesus, you just need to know it's just going to keep on increasing. But here's what we need to know in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. I'm going to paraphrase it here. God chose not those who the world would think wise, or important, or powerful. But he chose the opposite. <laughs> and then, once he chose them, he revealed and empowered and gave wisdom to them. He chose this way to destroy what the world believes is important so that no one could boast by saying, look at me and see what I've done. Because this, this is a God thing. For you, in your life, that's a God thing. And you know what? I don't, I'm not boastful about that. I'm not proud about that. But I'm, tell you, I'm telling you something right now. That is a solid stake in my life. That right there. This, this is a God thing. For you, it's a God thing in your life. Father, we thank you for your goodness, faithfulness. Just uh, know that you're an amazing God. I pray that what you would do is you would just resonate some of these things in our heart and our life. Help us, help us really not to miss. And, and the things that we get to learn here, and this morning what we get to learn here to share with others, what, what encouragement there is what uh, solidifying there is. What a sense of bringing us back into focus that this can be for us in our lives. So I thank you for it. Just really help us to be able to process this and use this as we go forward in Jesus' name.